Welcome to Unspoken, the podcast that highlights experiences that are all too common but very rarely discussed. I am Dr. Cloda Campbell, the wellness psychologist, and I feel very passionately about speaking the unspoken to remove the taboo and shame that so often surrounds our experiences and internal worlds. For each episode of Unspoken, I am joined by someone who would like to uncover their unspoken with us in order to help themselves, but also in order to help others. I really hope that you enjoy today's episode and that you take something from it. Today's podcast is very kindly sponsored by Sensate. Do you struggle to relax or to switch out of fight or flight mode? If so, Sensate is your key to calm. Developed by doctors and science-backed, Sensate uses infrasonic sound wave therapy to help your body's nervous system recover from daily stresses and anxiety and to enter into a deep relaxation state. If this is something you would like to incorporate into your life, Sensate have very kindly offered unspoken listeners 10% off when using code CLODA10. Today I am joined by Sandra who has very bravely agreed to share her unspoken with us. Sandra's story centres around her lifelong struggle of feeling like she was never reaching her full potential and being so self-critical and disappointed in herself because of this. Her difficulty in forming meaningful friendships and relationships with people which usually led to her giving up and moving on and the earth-shifting moment she experienced when, as her daughter was undergoing an ADHD assessment, everything suddenly made sense for Sandra, as for the first time in her life, she suspected she may too have ADHD, something that was soon after confirmed. Sandra speaks so passionately about her experience and that of her daughter, and today's episode is a must-listen for us all. You will learn so much just as I did. Sandra, welcome to Unspoken. Thank you so much for joining me today to speak about a topic that is gaining more and more momentum recently, but that I suspect is still very unspoken about in many ways. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. Thank you for being here. I would love to begin today's conversation by hearing what life was like for you growing up. And I'm curious about whether you ever struggled at times. You know, what was childhood like what was school like yeah I mean I I would say that I always felt different um but I was the middle child only female so I would explain away everything as I went along um but I was clever in school but found it hard to apply myself but funny and creative would kind of get me out of it in a lot of ways um but when I got to later childhood into my teens the challenges really started amping up and the overwhelm of just basic things took over and my self-esteem hit the floor. So any ability I had, I couldn't bring myself to <clears throat> shine like with schoolwork or with results or anything like that. So um, happy childhood, but a lot of challenges, I would say. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like you found things harder maybe than some of your peers in the classroom or... Yeah. And I mean, for, for a long time, you know, I, I like learning. So I was very enthusiastic as a student, very conscientious. So, you know, primary school wouldn't have really been tough, but I started seeing other people were coping better. Certainly when I got to like teenage hormone time, when you're really like looking inward and trying to figure out where you fit in the world. And Yeah. yeah, I could see people were kind of, and not in a competitive way, but racing ahead and I was still 
struggling like with the basic stuff you know when you say that they were coping better what did that look like to you what was missing in you that you were seeing in them well they seemed to take knocks on the chin whereas for me like not getting a good grade would be really hard on me or not being picked for a team would the pain of that was intense like Mm -hmm. why couldn't I cope with that kind of thing and like why couldn't I apply myself and study at night time like I used to literally stare at the books like what is wrong with me I just couldn't I wasn't interested enough in what I was learning to want to do it but I wanted to do well so my hands felt tied all the time yeah but other friends seemed to just do it easily and still be on the basketball team and do all the different things and manage to like manage their lives whereas everything was serious for me and everything was hard so it was kind of escapism kind of became how I coped I suppose you know yeah oh that sounds so hard I'm imagining you as that little girl and all the pressure you were putting under yourself and it was all my own pressure yeah or how I reacted to society's normal levels of what's expected because I wasn't hitting them I wasn't good enough and I wasn't making anyone proud Mm. but my sense of humor or you know I, I kind of on the outside would make it look like I was grand or I would you know uh, be spontaneous and a bit wild and do mad things with my friends and live for those moments mm. rather than Monday morning back to schoolwork that I would unravel during the week you know yeah oh that yeah. does sound really hard did anyone ever point any of that out to you or I mean school reports teachers Sandra if she could apply herself easily distracted um not trying hard enough and it got progressively worse doesn't care as you know the years went on um so that was kind of really the only um guide map I had at that time um nobody said this is a real problem this is going to impact you significantly I think it was just a matter of getting through it and moving on with my life and becoming an adult and hoping everything would click eventually you know and were you offered any support throughout that I don't think so but it was the 90s like there was no understanding of girls didn't have any you know neurological neurodivergence really other than maybe dyslexia if I'm right they did it just wasn't recognized so uh, I was just um, badly behaved you know Mm. that was where I was you know so I would get a stern talking to now my parents believed in my creative abilities for sure um but you have to get through the Irish and the history and the geography and the things that you really don't like in order to get on to the next level of life you know so when I got to leave and search like I literally moved out the next day out of home I just had to get away um such was the need to remove myself from the pressure okay do you know yeah Yeah. so it was I I, support wise no I didn't get offered support um but I don't think it was recognized because it was inward okay so there's no blame outward it's it's your mind it's like you're working against yourself all the time you know how did you feel about yourself then um god well you know the teenage years are hard enough as 
neurotypical person, I imagine. Um, but when you're neurodivergent, and I didn't know at the time, obviously, um, I was very, very hard on myself. So my self-esteem, like I just couldn't get anything right. So I didn't have a lot of self-confidence or self-belief um, and had no application. So I was literally lost, I would say. Yeah, it was a very, like, it's a painful experience because you, nobody has said to you, it could be this or you could have issues with this. So there's no, you're like left hanging and then you're yeah. 18 and you're, okay, what's what's next? If I, if I still can't study and apply myself, yeah. what do I do now, you know? Yeah. And are there any memories in particular that stand out from that really difficult time for you? Oh, I do remember... Uh, I think it was the start of my leaving certain year a teacher actually trying to be helpful coming up to me and saying that in the staff room I had been voted as the most disappointing student that year oh my god Mm. in the staff room yeah so not only she thought it they had discussed it amongst themselves but that was her way of trying to be supportive oh my god or shake me into some kind of ability suddenly to apply myself I don't know and I can see the emotion yeah no on your face as you say that it's funny as things happen in that time of my life I actually changed schools in my leaving cert year for a lot of reasons to do with the school in that they were on strike and we were missing a lot of days and I did not want to repeat and I did experience a very supportive time frame shortly after that and with like it was like a revelation nice teachers who actually cared, you know, and um, so that kind of stuff didn't exist there. So it was situational. Yeah. But it wasn't helpful. Mm. If anything, she confirmed how I felt about myself. So, yeah, she's right. I am disappointing. <laughs> mm. To sit here and see you say that about yourself, having internalized all of those comments and all of those report cards and all of the looks from teachers throughout the years, I feel so incredibly sad for that little girl who thought she was disappointing. Of course, of course you were so far from that, but to feel that way about Mm. yourself, my heart breaks. Thank you. (laughs) It was a tough time. So you do your leaving cert, you move out the next day. Yeah. How did life progress from there? Um, I think it was a mad, fast, rapid movement towards exiting Ireland. <laughs> so I okay. did everything I could to uh, get enough money together to move to the States. And I did. So I escaped okay. myself. I didn't realize that at the time. I was just constantly running away from dealing with things, I think. And I had this misguided idea of making it in America because I was misunderstood in Ireland. Oh, my God. Mm. Just I can't even imagine, you know, what that internal dialogue was like for you at the time. Or perhaps it wasn't even there. You're saying now in hindsight, this it is might have been in there, but I don't remember. Yeah. I definitely blocked so much of that time. And what was the period of America like for you then when you were there was so much riding on it for you right yeah um it was six years of um working now I ended up kind of managing a few 
restaurants and bars and did okay. But it was um, a lot of coping. So it was drinking a lot. But then I was in my early 20s. That's mm. what people do when they're mm. in their... But I was definitely numbing myself, surrounding myself with um, crazy people and having the time of my life in a lot of ways, but not moving much further than the restaurant I worked in and the bar I drank in. Mm. So I didn't travel per se. I just went somewhere else to exist. Mm. You know, while I tried to come to terms with myself. Yeah. And my abilities, if I had any. Yeah. What would trigger the moves from one place to the next? (sighs) Things would get hard. Yeah. What does that mean? Things got hard. Um... I think I'd start having to face things about myself because I would stay somewhere long enough, you know, and but like basic self-care, you know, paying the bills, keep on top of life. That's difficult. So things would pile up or get on top of me and I would the best person in the world to drop everything and start fresh somewhere else, you know, Mm. and I would dress it up as being exciting. But really, I was in hindsight removing myself from what was coming in on me to start again escaping again and leaving friends behind and literally no contact since and I've done that a number of times in my life yeah so you were there for six years Mm -hmm. and then did you return home returned home yeah I think I was about 24 and I did a stint in Galway for a while, I think, um, that I wasn't earning enough money. And I came back home to the Midlands and ended up working with my dad, which was grand <laughs> because it was easy because he was I was me and he was fine with that. So mm. whatever gaps I couldn't fill, he was grand. And we did develop a nice little business and um, it was traveling to China and so I suppose my self-esteem started improving and my self-belief started improving at that time but socially and uh, friendships and relationships and all of that I was really struggling and also not fulfilled not expressing myself creatively enough at all and so much burning ambition inside and unable to apply that to my life because the basics I just couldn't keep on top of the basics let alone go to the exciting stuff and you know for anyone in their 20s you know when you're fueled with desire to do well you know what were the exciting things that you would have loved to be able to do a big one for me for a long time I wanted to get a degree um in you know, at the time, God, it could have been like graphic design or media studies or something like that. But I knew deep down I just would drop out and it would be another kick because I wouldn't be able to keep up with the coursework. I wouldn't be able to apply myself and I would probably place myself in an environment where there was like a lot of let's go out and have a few drinks. And, you know, that would take over because you're always um, escaping. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would have liked to, you know, felt just accomplished and had a good routine and looked after myself and learned all those skills. I seem to like not understand why, why is this hard for me? All my friends were thriving and traveling the world and 
I couldn't do the basics. So it was always like, what is wrong with me? Um, so there was always this sense of what is wrong with me? Yeah, always. but nobody knew. Like I kept that good side out. People didn't get close enough though to, to see it. Mm. I kept most people out. Why do you think that was? I'm a perfectionist and I only accept or I would have only accepted myself as perfect in other people's eyes and anything less than that was too much of a reality for me to deal with. Um, so I was definitely um, a perfectionist and a people pleaser. And I think, you know, those kinds of traits run in families a little bit. And I just wanted my family to be proud of me. I come home from America with nothing. And I just wanted it to be a great story somehow and look a certain way. But the reality was on the inside, I was completely unfulfilled, not reaching my potential and no idea how to get there. Because when you're in survival mode, all you're doing is, is surviving. There's no room for growth or expansion, you know. Mm. How did the people pleasing show up in your life? Um, well, I'm just glad there wasn't social media back then because I would have posted the Instagram life <laughs> back then in a big way. I would have made it look really good. I certainly, um, I would have spent a lot of money on how I looked, what I wore, um, what I drove. You know, I just wanted my parents to be proud of me. That was a big one. I wanted people to be like awed by me, you know. Um, so this, very vacuous and very empty, really. Yeah. Um, but almost this sense, the sense that I'm getting is trying to prove your worth. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And and really just to me, because the people who count and the people who counted then and good few of them still count now, they, you know, they knew me. So I was not fooling anyone, I would say, you know. Mm. So as your 20s progressed, how did life progress? Um, I met my husband, who was four years younger, very ambitious, very together, very grounded, country chap, self-employed, um, the absolute opposite of anyone I'd ever met before then. And I just went, yep, <laughs> that'll yeah. be good for me. And Something really dreary to him. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, um, I just felt very taken care of in his presence. And he's not a talker. He's just, but he's very grounded. He comes from a very um, solid family and um, he is who he is and he doesn't apologize. He doesn't say a whole lot. Actions speak loud. I, I fill in the gaps with the talking. <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, he was, and he impressed me too because he's progressive. And it was that direction I wanted to go in. Um it sounds like you finally found somebody who was accepting of you and loving and caring towards you. Yeah, but like accepting of me, but like, you know, over the years, I would say, look, I got like, calm yourself, woman. You know, like there's always so much going on in my brain. Um, but he kind of kept me. He definitely had a calming effect on me. Very grounding. And he was somebody I could see myself with very much long term. Mm. I could see things down the line. You yeah. see myself maybe even figuring it out with someone like him, you know, 
that wasn't the thought process at the time, but I definitely had a comfort, a level of comfort with him. Mm. And I had never experienced that before then, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So we met and shacked up and had our daughter. And um, I was 31 having her. Yeah. Yeah. So what was life like as a wife and a mother? Um, I definitely kind of fell apart as a mother at the start with anxiety, with sensory overload in height. This is all hindsight. Um, yeah. Anxious mother. Yeah. I hid myself away from people. Again, everything looked fine from the outside. Um, you know, happy family. We were happy family and whatever. But I was literally like, how come other people can do this and do a job and do all the things and ha- walk at night and I can barely keep the floor clean and um, overwhelm with having another person to look after as well as myself who I still had not figured out how to look after. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then probably being like easily triggered um, as well. So not being my best version. You know, I had ambitions to be a really great mother and I just didn't feel like I was hitting the mark, you know? Again, that pressure that you're putting yeah. on yourself. Now, on the outside, I'd say a lot of people would be like, oh my God, you're a great mother. You know, but like, mm. to me, it wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough for yeah. her. The anxiety was chronic at times. Yeah. How would that show up in your life? Well, I, I was exceptionally sensitive and I still am, but I absorb it now because my sensitivity is, is a, I recognize it now as a strength. But back then it was, it was a crutch because I would hang on people's words. Somebody would say something to me and I would like hold on to the pain of that for years, like years. Um, or do you remember any examples? Yeah, I remember, I remember, uh, God bless her, a public health nurse coming in and been on the phone, distracted herself for a minute, answering a call while she was there. But while she was there, she distractedly was doing this with the dust in my house. <laughs> Rubbing her finger along the <laughs> while she was talking. Oh, oh my god, horrified. Yeah, and I was like, oh my god, like she thinks I'm a terrible mother, you know. Um, and I've told that story so many times. I've clearly held on to it. Yeah, but you're sensitive. I'm sensitive to my environment. I'm sensitive to the energy that comes into my environment. And when you're highly uh, reactive to people. You hold on to things, just ridiculous things like the pain of that. Like I should have like handed her the duster. Like I'm busy, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. I didn't know how to advocate for myself or speak up. I'd, I'd rather hold a grudge than deal with a person. So that's holding on to the negative mm. and not seeing how insignificant that plays out in your life, really. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I was probably like doing my best to be a good mother, but not in my power as a mother and not like standing up for things in the right way with the right perspective. Yeah. Yeah. You said there that you wondered how everybody could do everything and you felt like that was so far from your reality. What was that like to be in that place? Well, like I was looking around me and people were enjoying motherhood and their careers and you know, the holidays and all the stuff. And like, I literally just was coping every day. Um, do my best to make it look, feel, look good, you know. Um, but that was the point really when my daughter was 
uh, young, a little child that I the career end of things just started slipping away from me because I couldn't manage how other people seem to be able to. And something had to give. And um, I went and worked like part time at that stage, uh, which was great. But it was me just doing what I could do. So I didn't even get to enjoy that because I felt guilty that I wasn't able to do it all. You know, Mm, you were so hard on yourself. Very. Yeah. Very hard. Mm. And we're talking about your daughter who was very little at this stage. Mm. But fast forward to when she was in her early teens and this is the whole reason that led you here to share your story on Unspoken today. Yeah. Tell me about what happened at that time in your life. Um, she's in her early teens now, but when she was um, eight, seven, eight, nine, I could see difficulties in school. And she's very bright, very creative, really struggling to apply herself, though, and really easily distracted, daydreamer, all the things. And I'm going, she takes after me. Um And I just wanted her to be able to reach her potential like any parent um, and have a positive experience with her school life. Um, But I could see that there was significant issues and it resonated with me because it was like, I can see where this is going. I remember this for me. And when she gets to hormone time and all that stuff later in teenage years, it's going to be horrendous if I don't figure this out now. Um, so you that wanted was her to have a different experience totally, to the one you yeah. had. Now I knew it was different times and things were progressive and moving on from, you know, um, but I, I definitely felt that there was enough of a concern to maybe um, have her assessed to some level and see if there was anything there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at that time, because I identified so much and it was so fueled with my own experience and my intention for it not to be the same for her. A psychologist actually said to me, have you ever considered that maybe you resonate because if there is ADHD there for Casey or something, maybe it's the same for you. And that was like a, a massive moment in my life, an aha moment. What was it like to hear those words? Um, for anyone who's given birth, it's like that moment when you meet your baby it, in, in, in an earth shifting on its axis kind of feeling. I'll never forget it. I remember going home, reading about 10 traits of ADHD in women and ticking every single box and the intensity of that emotion, like I was discovering myself for the first time and seeing my doctor within a few days and and that was why I was with him and Mm -hmm. he I just said to him it's like I'm reading my my biography this could be written about me I have to get to the bottom of this um I wanted a referral from him and um that was the start of it but I'll, I'll never forget it because the pain of realizing I've lived my life with this and nobody steered me in any direction I could have met my potential if I just understood who I was and then knowing that I could start being compassionate to myself because it's not my fault that I'm this person who can't seem to get their shit together it's because I'm working against myself all the time and so 
that then fueled it for my daughter too, that I have her assessed and both of us be understood. Um, so yeah, it was, it was definitely, uh, the start of things changing in our house for sure. Yeah. Gosh, when you speak about it, it sounds like such a powerful moment in your life. It was, yeah, it was, it was, you know what, it was painful, but amazing, like, and just starting to connect with myself. So I'm this mom who's supposed to be a role model and I feel like I'm discovering myself for the first time in real terms. And I have a key suddenly in my hand that I've been given to like unlock who I really was as a person because I'm wildly ambitious and extremely creative and no means to get there. But now at least maybe I can read about this and study about it. And as it happens, staying up at night and going on Dr. Google and reading all about it and knowing it inside and out by the time I got to the diagnosis meeting, I was like, oh, yeah, no, I have it. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Mm -hmm. uh, there was no question. There was no question. I needed the piece of paper for validation, but there was no question. Yeah. So you said things changed in your house. Yeah. What has changed? Um, so that year, um, myself and my daughter were diagnosed with ADHD and my son was diagnosed with autism. And um, while that was like a lot, <laughs> to put it mildly, um, suddenly there was a real meaning and something to fight for and something to work towards um, and a deeper connection to me, to my children, to being the parent I knew I should be and could be. Um, this just shift happened and all of a sudden there was like life was for living, not just surviving. You know, it was like a complete change of how I saw how I was living, you know. It sounds like you accepted yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Still a work in progress. Um, because you do a lifetime of masking and, and people pleasing and trying to be a certain person to everyone. Mm. And you, you write this char character just, and you, you become that character. So when people meet you after that and you've moved yourself out of that, you, you're, you're different to them now. And some people don't, resonate with that anymore and that's fine um so and then it, it kind of coincided with the lockdowns and all that so actually it was really good because my family got to be in this lovely bubble of protection um, and at that time I'm in my early 40s and I'm discovering for the first time that I can paint and I have a talent all of a sudden and so everything started becoming nourished going in the right direction hard and all that it was um, it was actually kind of amazing. Yeah. You said that you finally connected with self-compassion. Mm. What did that look like? Um, a, a word that comes up a lot for me in the last year is grace. So I was giving myself an awful lot of grace, bringing myself back down from this crazy expectation 
and, and, and just becoming real and becoming grounded and becoming comfortable with who I am. Even I was always very consumed with how I looked. That changed. I, I accepted that this is the body that I have survived all of these impacts. So this is the body that I need to honor and love. So like that self-care came into it for the first time in my life. So what are the things that you struggle with in your life that people might not understand if they don't have a good sense of ADHD? Okay, well, an ADHD person is sensitive. Um, and I came across the term called rejection sensitive dysphoria, which is an extremely intense response to a rejection event. Um, so when somebody criticizes criticizes you or even makes a suggestion of some kind like I don't like those clothes on you maybe you should change or whatever the response to that the feeling of that is chronic chronically painful and if you're in you know survival mode and you have a lot going on and you're juggling loads of different things it it can take over and it can change the course of your day or your week so I think what it's done is that it has made people kind of afraid to talk to me about things or say things to me. So it, it has created distance between me and people. And if somebody has been harsh, critical, suggestive even to me about something, um, I have removed myself a little bit from that friendship or that relationship mm. and retreated home where nobody makes criticisms. And so... The pain of living with that applies to every day and it's a very real thing. And, you know, I would feel like I have to be careful that my family aren't suffering because of that, because they should be allowed to say, I don't like my sandwiches this way or whatever, without me turning around, you know, devastated that I do everything for ye and nobody appreciates me. It's loaded. It's always loaded, you know, and, and there's definitely you know, other stuff that comes into that for me personally, you know, in that I'm trying to come out of all of that and work on it with a therapist now. But it is a very real thing. And I can see that with my daughter too. Friendships or somebody saying something to her or, you know, and and you you don't want your child to feel those moments because you've been through them and it is it is a physical pain. It's not just feeling sensitive. It's like chronic you know it sounds really consuming that it just completely overtakes you it it does overtake you it changes the course of everything you're doing and it it you hold it you hold it because you're inclined you verge towards the negative with ADHD like you don't have the happy hormones in your system that neurotypicals have so you're always inclined to be negative so bring it in <laughs> you know it's it's hard um, and it, it changes your relationships. Keeps, for me, I've definitely kept people at arm's length mm. for fear of experiencing that pain. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. You shared with us that it was through watching Casey grow up that led to you understanding yourself and receiving your diagnosis while she received hers at the same time. Mm -hmm. How's Casey doing now? Yeah, she's she's great. Like she's, uh, I would say, a much uh, 
stronger person age 14 than I was and more much more self-aware and so it's given her kind of a toolkit or figuring out the things for self-care that she needs or how to ground herself when she's all up in her head and really struggling with things we've kind of walked it together and it's brought us closer through times where I think a lot of mums and daughters move apart I feel like I'm helping her understand herself so she'll get quicker to believing in herself Mm. than it you know than it took me what are the beautiful parts of ADHD that you recognize in yourself now that you have this awareness and this understanding okay um so my sensitivity which causes me pain also makes me a very compassionate person to other people so I have some very meaningful deep friendships with people and um uh I think that my sensitivity shows in my art too so I am able to create in a way that I can't describe um and my spontaneity and my indecision and all the things and my clutter and my um brain that's on fire in the wrong way a lot you know helps me with multitasking multi-thinking being all and everything for my kids while I'm creating art and why I'm while I'm trying to do all the things to be the person I want to be um that chaos kind of drives me a little bit now I get really tired so like it can be hard but recognizing it and kind of making it your friend like I could literally make a list of the strengths and the and the weaknesses or the difficulties with ADHD and a lot of them would be the same word like Mm -hmm. my art in particular like if I wasn't as spontaneous as I am or indecisive I wouldn't get to the finished product I I put it down and, and something strikes me and I just do something abstract with a piece of work and it's finished all of a sudden I didn't know it was coming and it surprises me as much as anyone else and if I take a break because I'm struggling with overwhelm the art that comes out after that break is like the best I've ever done so there are so I feel like there are so many gifts with it and the perfectionism which is hard to live with also means that when you do something oh my god you do it you do you do the best you know you you can hyper focus and put your mind to something and create something people haven't seen before like so there there's a massive amount of ability with it and that's very it's important that people see me and more so my kids as people who are able and and have gifts um so that's the journey for the last couple of years for me is changing how I feel about it and then maybe how other people who experience my kids that they might see them for their strengths first not their difficulties you know well it has been so gorgeous to hear you speak about your experience and the struggles but also the beauty that has stemmed from it in your relationship with Casey your relationship with yourself now Mm -hmm. thank you for educating me as I've sat with you and I've no doubt that all of those who tune in and listen today will feel the same they will feel educated and inspired more compassionate towards the people in their lives so thank you thank you for having me 
Thanks so much. I had prepared a completely different therapy segment for today's episode, but after sitting with Sandra and hearing her share so much vulnerability, what I had prepared didn't quite feel right. You see, I could identify with so much of what Sandra spoke about. Trying to prove myself, feeling not good enough, experiencing rejection and feeling so much pain in the aftermath of this. I share my experience because I imagine that you too have felt this way. For these are universal feelings, aren't they? So how can we look after ourselves when we do indeed feel this way? When we feel not good enough, when we experience a perceived rejection, whether big or small, The first way is to acknowledge and allow ourselves to feel exactly as we are feeling. It is okay for us to feel this way. Our feelings are valid. So often we deny or dismiss our feelings. Perhaps this was taught or modeled to us as a child. Perhaps our feelings and emotions feel painful so we push them down as soon as they arrive. Or perhaps we berate ourselves for feeling this way as if our sadness or pain is a sign of weakness or a lack of coping. Experiencing and allowing ourselves to acknowledge and sit with our emotions is in fact healthy. We experience our emotions for a reason. They are messages and often teach us very valuable lessons. Plus, if we can allow ourselves to do this, we can consider our needs in that moment and thus care for ourselves, something that is absolutely essential for our psychological and emotional health. Yet we don't often do this. So the next time you are feeling not good enough or rejected, acknowledge how you feel. Allow yourself to feel this way. And while you do so, consider what the message is for you in this moment. And how you can meet your needs and look after yourself when you're feeling this way. Let me give you an example. Recently, while we were on holidays, my youngest daughter showed parental preference towards her father. This broke my heart. Anyone who has experienced this will know it can feel incredibly painful, especially because a sense of rejection is something I've always carried with me and so is very familiar to me. So when I experience a perceived rejection in adulthood, I can feel it very intensely and it can trigger old rejection wounds I carry and my inner child. So in that moment, when my daughter reached instead for her father, I was heartbroken. I felt not good enough, like a failure, and like my husband was doing a far better job of being a parent than I was. Remember here that when emotions arise for us, it is okay that they do. So in that moment, for me, when I felt really rejected, I allowed myself to feel that sense of rejection. I acknowledged it, and I said things to myself like, I'm feeling really rejected and really sad and that's okay and I comforted myself in that. I said things to myself like it's okay to feel this way, of course you do. It's horrible to feel rejected and this is a feeling that's so familiar to you and a really painful one so allow yourself to feel this way. As I said my inner child was activated and I was speaking to her, reassuring her and validating her. I then considered what the message was for me in this experience and as I sat there contemplating this I realised that I hadn't been spending as much quality time connecting with my daughter in the lead up to that holiday because of work, because of life, because of the commitments and all of the responsibilities that I was carrying. So because of that this rejection felt 
really difficult for me. Deep down, I knew that I wasn't living my life in the way that I wanted to, that I wasn't connecting with her in the way that I wanted to. So this message showed up to teach me something, to teach me that I wanted to change that. So I made a commitment to myself to do just that and then considered what I needed in that moment to feel better. My answer was connection. So I told my husband how I was feeling and I asked him for a little comfort and reassurance. And then I went and I played with my little girl and honoured that commitment I made to myself, one that I have been keeping ever since and that has led me to feel so much more connected to her. So the next time you are feeling not good enough or you're experiencing a sense of rejection, acknowledge and allow yourself to feel however you are feeling. Consider what the message is for you in the experience and then think about how you can look after yourself, what your needs are in that moment and how you can meet them. Before we finish today's therapy segment, let's talk a little bit more about our inner child because we all carry one deep inside of us. One of the most powerful lessons that I teach my clients is how to look after that inner child when he or she becomes activated or becomes triggered. And like I just said, it's about validating her, reassuring her, comforting her. And some beautiful ways to do that are through the use of somatic techniques. And this is something that I practice all the time at home. It's something that I teach all of my clients and it's something that we will do together now. So when you're feeling emotional, start by crossing over your thumbs, palms facing your chest. And I want you to tap your chest and close your eyes and just enjoy that peaceful sensation that comes with this really beautiful technique. Next, move on to placing one hand underneath your arm and the other hand on the opposite shoulder. I want you to gently, with as much pressure as feels nice and comforting for you, hold yourself, close your eyes and give yourself a moment, supporting yourself in this really gentle but soothing way. Allow yourself to really enjoy this stillness and this pause, both you and your inner child. And finally, this really beautiful somatic technique is something that I use all the time and that I've taught my children too. And it is to cross your arms over and just gently squeeze down your arms. Gently squeeze and back up, feeling that sensation. And this is something that's so grounding, so soothing, so reassuring. If you think of what you do when a little child is upset, you comfort them, you hug them, you say reassuring things to them to calm them down. And this is exactly what the aim is when we're working with our inner child too and helping him or her to feel soothed, comforted and not alone. Thank you so much for listening to Unspoken with me, Dr. Clodagh Campbell, the wellness psychologist. Be sure to like, subscribe and follow me at The Wellness Psychologist on Instagram if you'd like to hear more. If you identified with this topic, make sure to check out the show notes where I have listed related resources for you. I hope you find them beneficial.